Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. This was not as bad as I remember. I agree. I'm not saying it was good, because it's got a whole lot of problems. But it was nowhere near as bad as I remember it being. It was not easy to watch. It was it, it was it something. It wasn't it wasn't it didn't make it easy for you. Yeah. It was very difficult to figure out what the hell was going on and why Val Kilmer uh, existed in the world of it. Well, I felt the same way about the main guy. Like like this very much was a a trying to reimagine in a modern sent- setting stories by people like a story by H.G. Wells Douglas in this movie is not the central character Moreau's not even the, there it's just I was here to report on the facts of the thing that happened as I saw it yes one of the things that's really kind of odd for this film for me is that it kind of highlights one of the issues with transplanting stories that are really about the time that they're in, mm-hmm. which Wells did a lot of. I mean, a lot of, you know, War of the Worlds, The Time Machine, you know, th- these are actually, these are stories that are not about the future or, you know, aliens invading. It's about yeah. British society. It's about the British culture. It's about the world that he's living in. Um, just like 1984 was not about, you know, 1984. 1984. And Animal Farm wasn't about, you know, th- these are writers who were writing about the world that they were in and doing it in ways that, you know, they, the framework was set up this way. And Island of Dr. Moreau is the same thing. The reason Moreau in the novel is, is kicked out of England is because there was this thing going on with vivisectionists. Yes. Where they would actually, you know, this, this became this huge political, societal, religious debate that, you know, you couldn't just sit there and go, yeah, let's just cut things up. Let's just see how it works. Yeah, and, and it got heresy is what that was. It got really, really ugly. And so, I mean, the fact that that's why Moreau is even on his island um, and this question for what does it mean to be human and what does it mean, you know, where is the soul and all these different things that are going on in the novel are about a time and a place. There's something that says, you know, it's the same thing with something like Frankenstein. I mean, yeah, you can make a modern version. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. But it's a challenge when you've got something like this where there's a fine line to it. Mm -hmm. This film doesn't quite get it. And part of that is the fact that Moreau himself is a really insubstantial character. Not Marlon Brando. He's very substantial in this movie. But the character isn't. Right. So let's... I don't want the people to put put me on a thing that they carry. Put me on a jeep and then have people pull the jeep. Okay. I'm gone. I'll tell you who I am. I'm goddamn Marlon Brando, and that's what I want. That's a, st- a stellar, stellar Marlon Brando impression. Would you like to hear my um, my Reese Witherspoon impression? Yes. Uh, that is one of my 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 go tos. I have to have the light make me look like I'm an angel 
in every scene of the movie because I'm America's sweetheart. And if you don't like me correctly, I will fuck you up. <laughs> I'm Reese Witherspoon, goddammit. <laughs> that is so... I closed my eyes and it was, yeah, it was and you were there. You were transported. Uh, I, couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't tell the difference. In fact, side by side, um, I'd be I'd be hard pressed. Uh, mm. <laughs> only large mouth women can be in that movie. Oh, <laughs> for the one woman in the film. Well, and and the thing is that the panther girl or the cat girl uh, isn't even in the novel. Yeah. She was invented. She was invented for the 1970s one with Burt Lancaster. I think was the first time. I might. I might be wrong. There might have been an earlier version that had a panther woman, but um, the uh, yeah, she's she's not in the novel at all. I could not, for the life of me, figure out what her what she wanted. Um, what what did she want? She, she wanted to not become a panther again. Okay. So, so. Okay, so we, we're we're off track. Hi, folks. Welcome to Zompocalypse Now. Uh, as you will recall from our last uh, episode, we watched uh, Colors Out of Space, which was a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story that was was remade, and and it's supposed to be it was supposed to be the let's get back to being a filmmaker uh, joint for the director whose name you just said. Richard Stanley. Uh, and the last film that he made before Color Out of Space was Island of Dr. Moreau, except for he didn't really get to make it because he was fired from the project. The project was basically cursed from the beginning, and uh, he got fired from it uh, and went and lived in the jungle. I'm Dustin, and joining me as always is Mr. Tim Harvey. Hello. And Curtis Smith. Hello. Did, did, okay, the guy who direct, who didn't get to direct this movie, right? He directed that, the color, the co- what was it called? Color the Color out of, out of Space. Did we watch that? Yes. Yeah. Did we do a whole thing about it? Yes. Oh, yeah. That movie was, has just flushed itself from my mind. <laughs> I don't remember any of it. I couldn't tell you what it's about, who was in it. It's about, it's about a color. From space. From space. Oh, the purple plant movie. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Right. Now I'm all caught up okay. with his brilliant work. Well, right. I think I, it, part of me wants to go, but since we've watched this, wants to go back to the film that actually made him a name when people actually were thinking about why he was going to be this next big thing because he made the, the sci- science fiction horror film Hardware. Um, I've never seen so. which a lot of people sat there. I mean, this was he got right, you know, Fangoria did coverage of it, and, sure. and people people were really excited about this. I mean, I actually liked it quite a bit. I mean, it, it's clearly somebody working within the confines of a budget, but being clever within the confines of a budget. I've never even heard of it, but yeah, it was a. a I'm one of my paintings actually. That painting over there on the wall um, is inspired by that movie. The it's the crouching girl. No, it's the it's the really dark one with the figure that's reaching with their oh. hands up like this. It's got the really long neck, and the really long neck actually comes from the killer robot in Hardware has this really long neck, which is just really creepy, uh, and that was kind of the starting point for that painting. So 
Anyway, how interesting. We saw that movie and we, we decided we should maybe look at, you know, because Island of Dr. Moreau is like right up our alley. Mm-hmm. It had, he had something to do with it. And uh, I can't remember any other reason we did this. Uh, no, that's pretty much the reason. Okay. Yeah, no. okay. <laughs> now, we did watch the documentary about the making of this film, and it's fascinating. First of all, Richard Stanley is an interesting character as a person. Mm. Um, he believes very much in the power of magic uh, oh. and uh, believes very strongly that part of the reason that he the film even was getting made was because he had a friend cast a magic spell. So he's a wizard and a filmmaker. I think he would prefer the term warlock. He might, yeah. Mm. But the film that we get here is very, very little of the film that he set out to make. Um, aside from the creature effects yeah, and the way that the creatures were, tra- the, the actors who played the creatures were trained to do the movement. And, and I will have to say, like, the, the way that they moved, all of them was just so really well done. They all seemed very, very animalistic. Even Feruza Balk's Anissa, when you first see her, the way that she moves is like she is a cat. She is moving like a cat. Yeah, the, uh, the, the one thing you can say about this film that is definitely not a problem, you know, however you feel about the movie, is the creature effects, the practical effects, the costuming they did for the, for the animal people. Yeah, they, they had all of that in stone before the new guy took over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the, the movement training they got is really, really good. I mean, there's right. the, the, the look of this movie, aside from Marlon Brando, if you just take Marlon Brando out for a moment <laughs> and, um, and look at the way the rest of the film looks, it's visually really well done, uh, but especially the creature effects, especially the, the beast men and, and Bruce Box character. They are, this is really good practical effects work for, for beast animal human hybrid things, their faces move uh, uh-huh. extremely effectively. This isn't like, you know, it was a big, it was a big deal back in the old Planet of the Apes movies mm-hmm. when they had that much mobility. Oh, yeah. And now you'd get something like it'd be a CGI creation and you had, you'd have Andy Serkis in there doing the, the motion capture for everybody. Nobody wants to do server, servos anymore, man. And this is why, this is why it's weird because I'm watching this movie going... This isn't anywhere near as bad as I remember. Yeah. I thought it was, I, my memory had this as a much more of a train wreck. It's a misfire. It's not a train wreck. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, I think that uh, the inside sports of it all is what made this movie into a train wreck. Yeah. Is the fact that the only people that were there trying uh, (laughs) were the creatures. And uh, David Thuellis and Feruza Balk. Yeah, like, okay, so funny story about the creatures. So we were, the, the fighting between Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer for, like, supremacy of which one of us is more powerful on set got so bad that they would stay inside. Everyone would get into costume. they get to their or super, you know, in the middle of the night. they mm-hmm. get in their full body suits, and they would wait and the guys would not come out of their trailers. Brando wouldn't come out before Kilmer would come out of his trailer, and Kilmer wouldn't come out of his trailer before Brando came out of his trailer. And so all the uh, 
all the extras, all the people playing the Beastmen would just wait and wait. And they, they did an interview. They kept coming back to this lady. She played one of the pig women. And she said that this was supposed to be like, what, a four-week shoot? And then stretched out into like three months? Oh, yeah. They would, they would, all the Beast people would hang out together and party. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, we'd, we'd get drunk and call, show up on set stoned and hook yeah. up with people we shouldn't be hooking up with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she was doing a three-month party. And be, all because Merlin Brando and Val Kilmer couldn't get along. Um, mm-hmm. And just, you know, they, all these actors and extras bonded over the people who are leading this film are horrid. <laughs> yeah. They didn't let this kind of thing happen anymore after this movie. It was like, this was like the apex of bad behavior by co-stars. Was well, I don't, I don't know. Waterworld came out after this. Yeah, well... I don't know any stories about that. So, the Water, well, Waterworld had a similar problem to this film. That This film actually had um, a storm come and hit and wipe out a whole bunch of their set. Oh, yeah. Waterworld had the same problem, that they built this giant set actually on the water outside of, of an island in Hawaii, and then, like, uh, a hurricane came through and destroyed it, and so their budget exploded, and, you know, but, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's still plenty of, of films where the egos of the actors are... Uh, getting in the way, shall yeah. we say? But you have more directors who are like, you know, you're fired. Yeah. Uh, than than I think in the in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of studios that that will crack the whip. So let's let's begin. The story is in no way about Douglas, who was on a boat going somewhere or on a plane going somewhere, and the plane crashed in the ocean. Alpha in the South Pacific. And uh, he and some people uh, survived on a life raft, but then those guys didn't make it. And so only Douglas survived. And he was picked up by a trawler that is headed to the island of Dr. Moreau. And on this trawler is Montgomery, played by Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer... And we're just going to call him Val Kilmer. We're not going to call him Montgomery. He, he does not play a character. I assume that this is just how Val Kilmer is. He gets such a boner for Douglas. In this initial scene, though, he's actually seems fairly normal. He's just yeah. the guy. like, we found you, and we're on this trawler, and we're going to go, and, you know, we don't have, there's no radio on the trawler, but we'll, we'll take you to a place where you can get help. He right. seems perfectly fine. But eventually he, he develops, you know, such a, a sexual lust, a deep sexual lust for Douglas... Uh, that he decides he's going to kidnap him and take him onto the island of Dr. Moreau. I didn't For, get the sexual lust part. Uh, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting that subtext. Uh, <laughs> what are you basing the sexual lust on? Just that, I mean, Val Kilmer works, strives so, so hard to have chemistry with his co-stars that it comes off really like I want to fuck you energy. The way that he looks at this guy and the way that he moves around him is very much like, as soon as I get you into a room where I can, I am going to lick every part of you. 
whether you want me to or not. Okay, so there were He's times. Like, I can't. I can't fix. I'm the only guy who can fix the radio, but I can't do that right now. You want to? Can I lick you a little? <laughs> 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 there were definitely times I thought that he was so high, maybe that he thought he was still in the doors. Yeah, because it really did smack like. You know, hey, this worked on this movie. I'm just going to do it again. Right. It was a bad, like, it was such a bad performance by Val Kilmer. It was probably the worst thing I've ever seen him in. Oh, Oh, yeah. No, I would agree. And, like, it's funny because he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang after this. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one of his best performances. Oh, it's it's a fantastic performance, and he's he's incredibly good in the film. And he's been good in other movies. They this, considered that movie his kind of his comeback film because I yeah. Dr. Moreau sunk his ship like crazy. Well, he also had a built up a very big, big and and rather well deserved reputation, from what I understand, of being incredibly hard to work with. And just very egotistical on set and just very, very unpleasant experiences for his co-stars and directors, which is a shame because you look at some of the films he's been in, Willow, Real Genius, The Doors, their Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, he's been in some really fantastic films in his career. I mean, uh, Top Gun, I guess. I'm actually not a fan of Top Gun. Uh, Real Genius is my favorite. Real Genius is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, The musical that he did after that was pretty... Remember that one? Oh, Oh, the spoof? Uh, Yeah, it was a spy spoof musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Freaking hilarious. That's very funny, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's... I mean, he's got... He's a talented guy. He did one of the Batman movies, and, and, you know, he's got talent. But, yeah, he built up a really bad reputation of being someone you just... Kind of like Billy Zane. There was a time uh, <laughs> it was like... Uh, We're going to make Billy Zane happen! And then, well, no. And the thing is, is that Billy Zane in some movies is amazing. Yeah. In The Phantom, The Phantom is my my favorite underrated uh, superhero movie. You know, my mom loves that movie, which is kind of strange. Yeah. She doesn't like shit like that. But the best part of that is not Billy Zane. It's Treat Williams. Because <laughs> <In that laughs> Treat, Williams, Treat Williams is the best over-the-top villain that whoever over-the-top villains. <laughs> and I do not know why more people were not casting Treat Williams in comedies. Mm-hmm. Because he did that one where he was super funny. And he also did, um, oh God, it was the one with Joe Piscopo where he played... Johnny Dangerous? No, no, it was it was uh, he gets killed and comes back from the dead and he's a cop. Oh yeah. And and Joe Piscopo is his partner and it's and he starts he's he's back from the dead but he's decaying, so he's still coming apart. And huh. I have to look that up, but it is so funny. It's it <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I, I remember vaguely this movie. But yeah, he he does comedy great. But yeah, he is a villain in uh, in the Phantom. Treat Williams was fantastic. He's a great he's a great dramatic actor. But uh, yeah, no, I loved seeing him do comedy. Anyway, so uh, so uh, Montgomery Val Kilmer uh, drops Douglas off at the main house, and it's like you don't get to leave the main house. You just stay right here and locks him in and locks him in. Uh, but doesn't doesn't necessarily lock him in in a like the the most secure room because he immediately like walks out onto the veranda <laughs> and and discovers uh uh 
Aissa, Aissa, I can't remember how you said it. Aissa, Aissa. Aissa, Aissa. Aissa, Aissa. Who is a beautiful young girl, and she's belly dancing out on the on the lanai. 100% made me heterosexual again. Except for Ruzabalk is obviously playing a child in this movie. No, she's she's playing a young adult who's trying to figure it out. I know. I was saying 16, 17. No. Well, no. okay. But here's the thing is that all, all of the Beast people in this film are at teenagers at most with the exception of the Speaker of the Law. They're all juveniles in the way that their worldviews function. They're all, they're treated as children by Moreau. And so she's, you know, and also the fact that, that for all the, the work he has done on them, spoiler alert for later in the film, Moreau is experimenting on animals and turning them and trying to make them humans. Um, if you've never heard of this story before. So they're all kind of these, at varying degrees, they all still have their animalistic nature, which in many ways makes them very childlike as it is. So she's a full-grown adult human-esque in appearance, but uh, my cat Hamish is, what, three mm-hmm. years old? And, you know, I'm pretty sure that his emotional development is is going to stay at three and go... <laughs> But you're right, you're right about all of this, but this movie introduced her in a very sexualized way. Oh, right. Yeah. I was saying, it's also that, that weird thing where you set, you're setting up this dynamic here with this scene where uh, David Thulis is watching her, and what he's seeing is a young woman, but that's not what's there. Right. And mm. so there's this, there's this sensual nature of... You've now turned a, you know, the the way that cats move have mm-hmm. a certain sens- sensual nature and, and not in a sexual way, but right. in a sensual way. She should have been like rubbing her face against a post or something. Well, but, but that's also- hang on. Just yeah. a few minutes later, the, the things that she's doing to him, talking to him, are very cat. Mm-hmm. Like extremely like rubbing her face against him and you know standing too close and especially in the early parts before we actually see the other beast creatures and we just see her Mm -hmm. i'm presuming that the point is to make you not think that wait a minute she's not human well you know i mean it's the island of dr moreau so you know everybody's some kind of creature but here's this beautiful young woman what's her story I don't right. know yet. Exactly. I know she's supposed to be Panther Woman because there was a poster in the fifties or whatever. You know, I don't. I don't know why she's there, what she wants, who she is, and why. Right. Aside from that, I'm glad she was there because the movie needed women in it because it was very. Well, I suppose that makes sense with H.G. Wells because it's very. Society wasn't, wasn't like, hey, bring in more women actors. Yeah. They weren't doing that back then. Well, but he was very much into free love, so he was a little bit of a libertine at his time. The story is, is I don't think there are any women in the novel. I, I don't recall there being any, any female characters in the novel. But what's interesting is that after he has this interu- introduction to her, and she is basically, you know, 
touching him in a way that in retrospect, once you find out that she's based on a cat, makes a lot of sense. As soon as she walks away, um, you know, he turns to Montgomery and is like, she's very attractive. And he's like, oh yeah, she's a real pussycat. And it's like, thud. Here's yeah. a, let's, just, <laughs> let's just drop a clue. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, that was one of those moments where I was like, pulled right out of the moment because he had to improvise. And I'm sure that was his idea. It was probably the old ass director's idea who'd lost touch of what comedy is 25 years before this movie was made. Well, even if it was in the script, it's the delivery. Yeah. I mean, because you, you could just, you could say that line and still sort of make a hint of it there. She's quite the pussycat. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't go that far. But, you know, point directed lighted signs at it then flash. That's that says, kind of what... she is a real pussycat. As whoa, in, whoa, whoa, whoa. as in yeah. a year and a half ago, she was a cat. Yeah. Does she have nine lives? No. Uh, no, she does not. Probably not. No, she actually didn't, did she? No. Just mm-hmm. the one. Yep. So anyway, Douglas is locked in and, and he doesn't like it. And oh, they're all vegetarians. They're, they live on a completely vegetarian diet. Uh, but Val Kilmer kills a bunny. For uh, for Douglas to eat, yeah, it it was it was a lot more. Again, this is another this is another Val Kilmer scene, which is just on the ship with these cages of bunnies, and he takes out one of the bunnies, and he's like, "Oh, isn't the bunny cute?" And he he ha- he kind of point holds the bunny up to you hold it for David Thewlis, and David Thewlis is like, "Oh, what a cute bunny!" And he kisses his head, and then Val Kilmer goes, "Ah, oh, isn't that cute?" Snaps his neck, and you're like, "Okay." Um, is did anyone tell this Montgomery guy that this is normal behavior? He didn't know to interact with another human being. I, mean, I could see his his eyes, his the actor's eyes in that it wasn't his character looking at Val Kilmer like he'd lost his goddamn. Well, yeah, there was a lot of that from David Thewlis, who had script was being rewritten all the time and he had no idea what was going on well, half I mean, the time he was he, making up his own lines consummate professional that that guy is he does what every good actor should do in a situation like that and that is nothing <laughs> he just looks at him like yeah the only the only way montgomery's character works in this movie the only way i can think of him working is if you from go you decide okay val kilmer's character is a textbook sociopath. Right. He doesn't That's the only way this character works. And in context of the movie, that actually makes sense why how this guy would end up on this island anyway, working with, with Moreau. The problem is, is that at no point in the movie until the end, when he's lost his damn mind, <laughs> um, do we ever actually get the sense of anyone... There's a whole lot of information that is not in this movie that the story actually want needs to have it be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. Because it's just jumping all over the place. Whiteboard list of all of the elements that kind of happen in the book. Right. And then they just took each one of those individually and filmed some of that. Because not only does the movie jump all over the place, but like I said, Douglas has no part in any of the action. 
he is just there to observe. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't like my protagonist to be just a guy standing in the corner watching shit happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't... I think they were trying to do the movie from his point of view, but there was no real emotional connection with the character. We didn't... I mean, I didn't really care about him that much. No. The person I cared the most about was Panther Lady. Yeah. Because she seemed to have the highest stakes. Because, yeah. You know who she was. You know? That was the only thing that I could get out of this movie was that here's a character who wants to know why. And that's what she wants. And we need and to, to, es- to escape her situation. She wants out. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a hole here in the story, right? So I, I thought that to some degree, Montgomery works as an observer but there's not enough of the the larger story here. And some of that comes out of the fact that, A, Marlon Brando did not know his lines. <laughs> and he improvised most of his lines. And what lines he didn't improvise, he was having his assistant feed him in yeah. through an earpiece, which apparently was also picking up uh, the local police channels. So occasionally <laughs> he would literally say, there's a robbery at the, you know, um, and things like that. Uh, that may be a joke, but that's one of the stories that comes out of this film. There's a moment where you almost think you're going to get this this scientist who is clearly so convinced that he's right in his path. He starts to talk about it at dinner, right? He starts to talk about, you know, I've seen Satan in the microscope, mm-hmm. right? And I've defeated Lucifer because I can, you know, it, this is the problem with humanity and we're going to find this. And then it stops. And this is like a giant conversation. And this is the point where Moreau should be selling. Right. You know, he's trying, you know, this is where you convince the guy. This is where you sit there and take him to the lab and show him all the things and, and dig into it. And this is the point where you should be looking at Moreau as the audience going, this is a mad genius. Mm. As opposed to looking at him and going, this is Marlon Brando in a tent. <laughs> Why? What is happening here? Why is going on? The, and Moreau is the weakest part of this movie, which yeah. is which is, and he shouldn't be. He should be, he should be the part that's grabbing you, and making you sit there and go, "Oh, I get it. You're insane." No, we mm-hmm. should be introduced to all these wonderful ideas and concepts by a beautiful monologue from that fella and then we get to explore how none of that works at the end of the movie that kind of should have been the story for me right there was nothing like that it was just it it turns into lord of the flies and and also kind of okay let's kill all the humans and then we can yeah and and like we said earlier like the focus on who was the main character who was supposed to be our draw was so completely off because none of the none of the big names were doing what they were supposed to be doing. You know, we've got Marlon Brando who doesn't want to be there and is is just doing whatever he wants, and and you got Val Kilmer who, if I'm correct, this is the movie that he came to set and was like, I don't want to play the character I was going to play anymore. Right. I'm going to play this character now. 
he didn't want to play the part, and they were talking about leaving, and they said that, okay, you can play this other part, which has the only amount of time on you want to spend on set. So, yeah, it's a... It's a- right. And then um, I, have to, I would have to see, I'd have to look, but I'm pretty sure that this was close to David Thewlis's first big picture. It looks like he really hit around this time because he had James and the Giant Peach and Island of Dr. Moreau and The Big Lebowski and Seven Years in Tibet, all within like three years of each other. Yeah. So nobody, nobody watching this movie came out of it going, this is David Thewlis's fault. Right. Nope. <laughs> nope. That guy was in it to win it. And, and I'd say the same thing about Bruce Ball. Yeah. Because she's, I've always loved her work. When she, she was in uh, American History X, geez, and Pete, she was good in that. Yeah. She's always been one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. And The Craft is a favorite movie for everybody. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this film is that all the leads are incredibly talented actors who have done great work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was some... But... I'm going to assume that she was not in the documentary. She was in the documentary. Oh. Yeah. She, in fact, uh, so when Rob Morrow, so Rob Morrow was the original person playing the part that David Thewlis is playing in here, the the Northern Exposure. And uh, he, so when this entire thing was collapsing and they were, they were firing uh, uh, Richard Stanley, uh, Rob Morrow was like, this is insane. And he got on the phone with, his agent and the and one of the producers at the studio and he said you've got to get me out of here this is insane i want to go home to my family i don't care what has to happen i'm out so david thulis shows up with like you know six pages of the script which are promptly tossed out the window when he when he gets to, <laughs> to the set and he's told yeah we're, we're we're getting rid of all this richard stanley script uh here's the new one and so Feruza Balk, who was friends with Richard Stanley, she tried to escape the set, too. Yeah. <laughs> and she got one of the um, crew to drive her, like, 200 miles to another city. But they found out about it, and they went and they got her and brought her back to set. Oh, wow. So, I mean, yeah, this whole thing, there's... There's a certain um, when you watch this documentary and and what uh, is the name of the documentary? But we've said uh, name, we've yeah we keep talking about it. The name of the documentary is called Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau, and um, it's a lot of interviews with Stanley. It's a lot of interviews with a lot of the cast. Uh, uh, David Thewlis isn't in it. Uh, Rob, Morrow, Rob Morrow shows up to talk his bit. Some of the producers and some of the crew and some of the cast um, come in and talk about it. Um, surprisingly, Ron Perlman, who plays the Speaker of the Law, uh, does not show up. And Ron Perlman is not known for keeping his opinion to himself, so I'm sure it was a scheduling issue. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, but he may have maybe had a maybe he had a fee requirement. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating uh, example of how mostly the focus is on Richard Stanley's side of things. 
but uh, there's a lot about the production of the film, which, yeah, it's a mess. I mean, the behind the, save, behind the scenes on this movie were... I'm trying... I'm having a hard time thinking of too many movies where it was this messed up. Yeah, I can't imagine being on a set that was... But if you consider the uh, film that Richard Stanley wanted to make, he had he surrounded himself with perfectly capable technical crew and everything. He just imploded himself. Yeah, he was he was not prepared. He was not prepared to work with a crew this size and a cast this size. All he had to do was keep shooting, and he probably would have figured it out. But he just kind of imploded. Nobody knew what there was going on. He wouldn't come to set. He, you know, he yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't go to meetings. He wanted people to come to his house, yeah. for their meeting. And they're like, "That's no. not how it works." No, you don't get to stay in the house all day. <laughs> so, I mean, there were there were a lot of issues with behind the scenes stuff, but um, it would have been it would have been more of a nightmare fuel movie because what we don't get in this film is what the lab would have looked like in his sketches. Uh, yeah. The House of Pain, which is a thing from the novel, which is where the, the, the beastmen are disciplined by Moreau, which is basically a giant torture chamber. Um, it's the, in the film, it's implants and right. uh, electronic controls of these implants, which cause them to have pain. So, it, which makes sense. I mean, in the modern context, you would do it that way. But in the, in, it, it looks a lot like his version and we you know this that they don't break down the differences between the scripts but i probably would have enjoyed it more if every time marlon brando pulled out a rolled up newspaper everybody just cowers back <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i swear to god i'm gonna beat your butts see that actually would have been <laughs> a spray a spray bottle with with some water in it <laughs> <laughs> it would have been in keeping with his character yeah although i have to say that there's um, I guess, okay, so before we get there, basically what then happens is Moreau tries to sort of explain what's going on to Montgomery, who basically looks at him and goes, this is satanic, which is a very odd line. It's very You're much an, crazy. 18, it's an 1800s yeah. line. Uh, but anyway, um, and, then, and then it kind of gets dropped because he sees all these beast men and he actually gets... Um, uh, he goes to where the beastmen have their their camp, and, and he's taken also, there by uh, uh, by Ayesa. And he, yeah, he's he. All of this stuff gets jumped dumped on him, and in this, in this sequence, his sort of wide eyed reaction to all of this makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got this like, "What am I looking at? This is crazy. What's going on?" But once we don't get it, you know, the, the dinner happens and Moreau's like, you know, I found Satan in the microscope, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then really here, I found Satan in a microscope. <laughs> the horror. <No>. The horror. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. <laughs> But then we come back to the rabbit thing and the film, here's, here's where the film starts to accelerate in a way that I think story suffers a lot. Yeah. Because there's this dead rabbit in the woods that they have found. And one of the rules of the beast men is thou shalt not kill. I mean, a lot of, a lot of their, their, there's a whole religious thing happening here, right? So Moreau is God, um, the speaker of the law, who's, who's apparently the oldest of the beastmen. 
um, who is the interpreter of the laws. And then there's the beastman who sort of, you know, the, the speaker of the laws, the prophet. And then there's Moreau, who's God. So the father, right? And so one of the beastmen is regressing, which they all do. They all, he hasn't found a way to stop them regressing. And so he killed this rabbit. And so he has to be punished. And another beast man, who's one of the household staff, just shoots him in the head. Yeah. Moreau's like, that, what, did you, what did you do that for? <laughs> I saw Lucifer in, a, <laughs> in an oatmeal cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I'm sure that somewhere there is a page of un, unfilmed screenplay that has Montgomery convincing him that that's what is supposed to happen, you know, to show their power. Well, and I, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, Montgomery, but we didn't get it because it was, it was not filmed or it was filmed and Val Kilmer had his dick out the whole time or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cause at this point you come to realize that Montgomery is just pretty much a dick to everybody. He's, Last week, I got some BLs of bubble tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like this the whole way, folks. There's your warning. Uh, so, yeah, and yeah. So then we jump to, after we've had this punishment by death, this trial. Yeah. Moreau's like, Moreau cuts short dinner and says, well, you're, we're going to show you what it's like here. We're going to have a civilized trial tomorrow. And then this happens, and then it cuts again to Montgomery taking David Thewlis out and explaining how they give the drug regimen to the Beastmen. Mm-hmm. But then we find out that one of the Beastmen has, because they cremated the executed Beastmen. Uh, and that's when this other guy, the. His uh, buddy. His buddy. Uh, yeah, the hyena. He discovers that the, he finds the implant in the in the remains of his friend, and then cuts out his own. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, leads to a chase scene and Val Kilmer being Val Kilmer. Right, and then another one of uh, uh, those six or seven pages that were never filmed, where he teaches other. Beastmen to remove their chips or helps them because they all show up at Moreau's house and he tries to to shock them and none of them have their chips anymore. Well, yeah. they all show up and he's like, "Oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. I I put out some crackers for everybody. Just come and have a seat." <laughs> yeah, but this is like the one scene where it feels like they almost got Moreau right, almost. The one where he's showing them, like showing them the piano, yeah. I like that scene because it's it's like here he is trying to be the you know the, the idea that he is their creator and he views them as his children, mm-hmm. and or or if and whether that's you know the terminology he's just using, he views them as the these successes that he created. You know, there's they're not complete. You know, they're still beasts. But yeah. they're they're on the path. It proves that he's right in his mind, and so this whole scene has got a. a Don't quality. we kind of find out that that you know, despite how he feels about his project, 
it's not enough for these guys. Well, yeah, yeah. but it's this is the moment where I think Brando. This is like the one moment where I'm like, this isn't the Moreau I want to see. Yeah, throughout the rest of the movie, and we just don't see it because. He doesn't do a great job of explaining. And he's killed immediately after this. Yeah, yeah, he's like... <laughs> so, I mean, he doesn't have a lot more time left because there's all of his stalling to get the... All of this is stalling so that he could get his little his little tumor baby to to get the, uh, uh, the remote control. And when he realizes that it doesn't work, all, it angers the Beastmen so much that they attack and kill him. But then they have this moment of, oh, no, we ate him. <laughs> yeah, and it this spirals into the Lord of the Flies portion of the script. Now, in the novel, this is actually pretty accurate. So when you look at how the film, it's basically in two parts. There's part one, which takes you up to Moreau's death, and then part two, which is everything that falls out of it. In the novel, it's kind of that way, too, the, the death of Moreau is fairly close to the front half of the book. And then the rest of the book is about the Beastmen trying to build their own culture and society without him and how it all goes wrong. And it ends in violence and death, just like the movie does. A lot less Val Kilmer, though. Uh, <laughs> but at this point, while things are spiraling into chaos, you have these two different camps of the Beastmen, you've got the ones followed by the hyena, and then you've got the ones followed by the house by the house deck. Right, by the speaker of the law. Except it doesn't really actually break down like that because there's a one of the things that comes in later is the a very super brief discussion with Montgomery and one of the house staff about what it is what it is the nature of a dog to run with a pack. Mm-hmm. And so the the loyalty of these beastmen shifts a bit as things go. Meanwhile, Douglas wants to get off the island for real bad, and real bad. and so does and so does uh, Aissa. She really wants to get off, but she can't get off the island because she has to take her drug that yeah, keeps her human. Are growing back. Yes. Yeah, there's a problem with her taking the drug though. It's that Montgomery destroyed it all. Yeah, so this is where we really get to see that Montgomery is... If you were if you were doubting this before, this is the, oh, look, Montgomery's batshit crazy. Uh, because... <laughs> was it a descent into madness, or did he show up a little buggy? Well, it's, I mean, you know, when Douglas goes looking for him and finds him dressed like Moreau, doing not quite as good a Moreau impression mm-hmm. as you do... <laughs> Uh, into the microphone. Oh no, he's was spot on. It was really. Good. It, it was. was good. It was Marlon Brando, and he was just Val Kilmer going man, 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 man. And this scene, I mean, you finally actually get to see Douglas do more than react because he basically starts slapping Montgomery around, and it's Montgomery is just sort of like flailing around and then he drops his bombshell that no oh yeah 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 I destroyed all the serum yeah every everything that that Douglas was hoping to do at this point goes out the window because he can't take her off yet right all the work that they got done in the very beginning trying to set up the romantic relation oh they didn't do any of that did they no but I you know I think that 
there's this, you know, this idea of Douglas as a hero, as as a protagonist, because he is in no way a hero in this movie. He's barely there. It's it's very much the argument that people have about how the first Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones didn't have to wasn't a necessary character in his own movie. The <laughs> literal exact things would have happened whether Indiana Jones showed up or not. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how Douglas is. Whether or not Douglas was on this island at the time, all this shit was going to go down when it was going right. to go down, whether he was there or not. Uh, and the only piece of agency that he had, the only thing that he was working towards was saving this young girl who according to everything he's been told is the culmination of Moreau's work. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, caring. She's become a human. She is no longer a putty tat. She is a human being. And when he realizes that he can't save her, we can't stop her regression. That's pretty much the end for him. Unfortunately, it's also the end for her. Because, right. again, as we've said, the only character, the only character that shows any kind of agency and has any kind of real growth or or drive is is Farouz Balk's character. And once they find out that she can't be turned kept human, they kill her off literally immediately after. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the descent into violence. And and just no sense of we can or a sense of we can do whatever we want, mm. uh, kind of overtakes all the beastmen. But the hyena wants to be in charge. There's this attempt he basically to, tries to get to tries to get Douglas to because he's Douglas is still you know he's a human so there's still mm. a certain amount of authority that goes with human even if they are he's a captive at this point. He tries to get him to you know proclaim. That the hyena is God, is the new the God. The new God, yeah. And I have to say, this is my favorite scene in the entire film for Douglas. Because he's going to die. And you can see it on his face. He's like, I am, I am so fucked. And it's just there. And yet he looks at him and he goes, no. but you all ate his body. Which one of you is God now? <laughs> and it's you know because if you consume God and become God, there can only be one God. And he's just—I mean, he's—it's like I'm gonna die, but I am gonna take you with me. And it's like this is this is the one scene where he really grabs, um, you know, his own agency in the movie and tries to do something. It's you know, and it's at the point where he expects to die. Yeah, right. And this, of course, means that the hyena sits there and goes, well, I got to get rid of those other guys. <laughs> and yeah. starts shooting his own people, his own, his own allies. And this leaves him with nobody on his side. And everyone who, you know, was just shot at by uh, animals who are not particularly great marksmen with automatic weapons. Yeah. And he loses the, the remote control. Yeah. And so we actually see him walking off into the burning house, asking why, which is mm -hmm. a question that all, which is a question the animals start asking themselves. The beastmen are really starting to ask themselves why. 
Why was this? What is going? You know, what was the point of this? Why did you do this to me? And again, it's it's a it's an untapped part of the story. There should have been more of that, right? And I don't think that the answer, the the power of the answer, probably would have been how unfulfilling it would have been because I have a feeling the answer would have been the why do you climb Mount Everest because it's there yeah because I thought I could do it I wanted to prove I could do it well but even then we should have had more of that because that's part of who Moreau is Mm -hmm. we just completely went over Montgomery's death because it was so unimportant and unnecessary and un. Like, like, die, even. How does well, that... so he's got, there's a, basically the, uh, the beastmen are having an orgy. Right. Um, and he's in the middle of this doing his. I noticed they were movie. particularly fond of doggy style. They, shockingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and he's talking to, uh, as a, as a, as a, rela, uh, a as, the one with the dreadlocks. As a Zello. As a Zello? Yeah, the one with the dreadlocks is for the house staff. He's the one who, who got the guns for the, the animal policeman, John Big Boote. Yeah, uh-uh. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> he's talking to him about the the life of a you know a dog. He's based on a, he's based on a dog, and it's like you know what's it, you know the running with the pack and and the hunt and all these things. He says, "I'd like to go to dog heaven," and Azzello pulls out his gun and sends him there, and just shoots him, and everyone just stops and looks. And he shoots, and then the hyena comes over and shoots him some more time. And it's like, all right, that's it. You know. God and laziest, just lazy-ass actors. No offense, Val Kilmer, but you know what you did. Right. And, you know, as as we have discussed it, I think, and of course, so that's basically the end of the movie. The last thing we get is Douglas building a raft to escape the island of Dr. Moreau. And the speaker of the law, who is played by Ron Perlman, comes down and it's like, you know, you could stay. We could use you. And he's like, <laughs> no. Why would, I, why would I do that in any shape or form? And he's like, well, you guys got it. You guys will be fine. Well, and he's like, I, I, I'll go back and I'll come back one day and I'll bring scientists. And the speaker's like, yeah, how about you don't? Right. <laughs> We've had enough of scientists. And um, you know what? Walking on two legs, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And maybe two legs isn't good. Maybe four legs isn't bad. And of course, it's Ron Perlman, so there's like this gravitas to Yeah. Um, you're actually listening to the things he's saying because he's amazing. Right. And, it makes and this is unfor- unfortunately this is the first time you realize it's Ron Perlman. I mean that this is a good actor because every other line he's ever had in the whole movie is no, yes. no. <laughs> well, and then this you- is the law. And you think about how much missed opportunity here there is here. You could have had this great powerful scene where, where Moreau explains all of the things he's doing, you know, and and that could have been a terrifying scene. It could have been a really inspirational thing. There's a lot of ways you could have played it. You could, oh, have yeah. had, you could have had Montgomery be, you know, really lean into the fact that there's a reason he's on this island. 
and he's Moreau's assistant there. And that is to make him, you know, really, sh yes, he's a sociopath. He's, you know, he's not fit to be around humans. Mm -hmm. And the casual cruelty that he shows to every, every other person in this film comes across the way Val Kilmer is playing it as, I don't know, Val Kilmer doesn't care. But that should have been a, <laughs> that should have been something that makes you very, very uneasy very quickly. You should be like creeped out by that. Let Douglas actually start having some agency before he's about to die. You know, or you think he's gonna die. Or even even if you were to to keep him as the casual observer of this of this thing that he's now being thrown into and it, as she wasn't in the original work anyway build up the the Feruza Balk part Ayissa into more of a protagonist allow mm -hmm. her to live allow, give, give her those last lines him saying to her I promise you I'm going to come back and I'm going to save you I'm going to come back with scientists and we'll save you and you know because the whole point of her character was that like I want to get off the side and I want to be saved and then give her the, the agency to say no yeah yeah that would have worked a lot better too we're good writers Tim <laughs> well so here's no the one will ever know it this is a film that is ripe for a remake okay so let me rephrase that there is supposedly a new version of the Island of Dr. Moreau in production and or in pre-production right now, because of course very little is actually in production. right now. It's not really a remake of this movie. Just like this movie wasn't really a remake of the seventies movies or any of the other film adaptations. You're supposed to go back to the source material and find a new way of telling the story, right? You know, the, at the core of this story is man playing God. Yeah. Well, it's, it is very much a religious allegory because, you know, man playing God, and then all of a sudden, all of his, all of God's subjects are fucking up. Well, guess what happened the first time that happened? When God played God, the same shit happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and well, and and there's the whole, there's something about a, a human being going, I'm going to play God, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the, you know, create new life. Which is the whole, you know, idea of Lucifer rebelling against God in Paradise Lost, or if you believe in, you know, if your religious beliefs say that that happened with the fall from heaven, you know, the idea that that, that was pride, and and there's a there's a you gotta have, you gotta be prideful to sit there and go, I can make a dog into a human. I saw Voldemort in some toast. <laughs> I mean, there's, all, there's all these ways to play with it and I you know I think nightmare fuel is one of the ways I don't think anyone's really given the full terrifying aspects of what this story really is I mean do you know what they're gonna do they're gonna fill it with CGI bullshit yeah quite probably it's gonna look like cats ha! nothing nothing they're just we'll gonna, they're gonna like try that. to use the same rendering and programming stuff because they lost so much money on it. No, 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 no. It all makes sense now. <laughs> it all makes sense now. 
There was a secret experiment on the other side of the island he didn't tell anyone about. Oh, my God. And, and that was, was all, the Jellicle Cat. It was all focused on cats. <laughs> and they escaped, and they made their way to London, and it all, it's clear to me now, that explains it. We're back to Nightmare Fuel. All right, there we go. I saw Mephistopheles <laughs> in a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> oh god yeah no kidding so I got the idea for this island of cats right <laughs> oh. they sing songs and it makes no sense jellical 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 that makes as much sense as anything else <laughs> so, yeah it's I'm, I'm I, this is the you could redo this story without too much trouble I mean it's and it's not like it's you know, there have been multiple adaptations of this story and it can be a tiger, there. tiger, burning bright uh, in the Batman animated series. Yeah, is a, a version of the Doctor Moreau story. Oh yeah, it's it's been used in in fiction quite a bit. I mean, even inspire you know inspiring quite a bit of other things as opposed to just adaptations of the book. I think you need to really figure out a way to to do something. It should be a stage play. It's almost say it should be a stage play. This should be a stage play. This would be a fun. Um, I have vague memories of there being a stage production of this. You think there are? I think somebody did it once. I would have to look that up because I can't remember. Andrew uh, Lloyd Webber did a musical. It's called Moreau. <laughs> Dog people run in the town. <laughs> King Naive is so mad right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, can, I can see it. No, I don't believe it was. <laughs> You uh, know what I almost started singing, Curtis? What? Seven neutered cats and a suicide ghost. Suicide <laughs> ghost, seven neutered cats. Seven neutered cats and a suicide ghost. Oh, my. How many cats? Seven neutered cats. Oh, my. Curtis, Curtis, actually, you guys don't know. Tim knows because now he, he has Curtis. But Curtis came and visited me. Yeah. This weekend or this week, and we got to spend some hangout time together for the first time in about a year and a half. Been a long time, mm-hmm. and it was so much fun. You know, he got to see my new house. We got to meet my family. I kind of explained a couple of things to him. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I totally get it. You and I are pretty much the same. We're basically the same dude, really, <laughs> right now. Yeah, you get your parents are pretty much like mine, and you know I don't have any siblings, but you do, and you have children, but I don't. I have a cat. You've got a cool dog, and and so yeah, we're our lives are exactly the same. Only you are, you are a much better host than I am. You took really good care of me, and I really appreciate it. And by the way, folks, if, if the, this episode probably sounds quite a bit different than our other episodes. We'll see how it gets in the edit. But Curtis and I are actually sharing a microphone. Yeah, we're in the same room. So we're I drove 800 miles today so that I could watch the movie with Dustin and then come do the podcast with Tim. And it was so much Across fun. Three goddamn states. <laughs> okay, so, but so anyway, yeah, Feruza, if you're listening, please send us a, just help us out. <laughs> We would love to have you on the show. That'd be great. Um, we oh, love to- obviously, I mean, that'd be let's, not, let's not be beggy, though. I don't think celebrities like that. I'll tell you what. If you want to be on the show, you can talk, get in touch with my agent. Which is 
Uh, Nobody, which is not a person who exists. Well, I'm not actually talking to anyone, so... Well, <laughs> his his agent is in Canada. You just haven't met her. <laughs> so Canadian. I met her at camp. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Island of Dr. Moreau is a movie. I'm going to say watch it because, you know what? Why not? It's not well, terrible. The creature effects are very cool. Yes, the, the, the creature effects are very cool, and very it's really interesting to see somebody, to see somebody's entire career implode in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not it's not the train wreck. It's not the train wreck I remember it being. Brando do one more shit movie after this and then kick the bucket, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Val Kilmer. Uh, I don't. Yeah, his career didn't recover until Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but yeah, Cruz is still. Oh, it makes me mad that I don't see her and shit all the time. But apparently, she's busy. I'm just missing it. She's done doing stuff. She's. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't remember what it. She's doing stuff. Probably. <laughs> well, the most recent thing that she's done, she's going to be on a show called Paradise City. She's one of the main stars of that, but it's in post-production. Who knows? Um, she was in a movie called August Falls. Uh, she was on Ray Donovan for a long time. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. I love that show. God dang, that was good. I don't know, Dustin. Is there anything else we can say about the island of Dr. Moreau? No. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, if you've seen the island of Dr. Moreau and you loved it, we'd love to hear from you. And hear your explanation, because I'm sure there are people who do love this movie. And if you hated it, we'd love to hear from you, too. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you have recommendations about what films we should watch next or TV shows we should watch next, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us on iTunes and podcasts.com, where you can leave comments and messages on all of these platforms. Um, Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Share the show. That would be fantastic. The more listeners we have, the better. We uh, we like listeners. It's nice to have. I think they're great. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay. And we'll do this again in another week. Curtis, so good to have you here. Man, it's, thanks for letting me come over, dude. Well, you know, it's it's been about the same amount of time since you and I have physically been in the same space since you've seen Dustin. That's so true, it's man. Been it too was, long. I'm going to tell you on a personal note, it, it was about a year ago right during this time that I went back. It was about August. From the beginning of August, I went back to my hometown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when I went back that I was going to have to stay there for a very long time. And it's good to be back here amongst the people I miss so much. I just, I, can't, I, don't, I don't like it out there. <laughs> I wanna come, wanna come I'll, I'll tell you the same thing I've been telling Dustin since he moved to Texas. You can come back anytime. I'll let you. Except, <laughs> except now I've got a house. So I, I'll come changed, back, but... Is this baller? This changes nothing. You can come back anytime. I'll let you. <laughs> I'm not sure what, what the, the... Nothing changes here. But thank you, Tim. My pleasure. And Dustin, you too. It was so cool to watch watch my dad really, really just enjoy one of my friends. Like, oh, this he one's not a weird, pale comic, comic book guy. 
He didn't know what to do with me. We were talking about cuts of meat. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. Yeah. I showed him a gun, and he was like, oh, that's a gun, shiny. <laughs> yeah. Then he showed me his gun about three hours later. He was like, this is mine. I was like, oh, <laughs> I have won this man over forever. Yes. <laughs> I thought I thought more than one time over the course of the the twenty four hours that I had you that I was like if only if only I could then go to my dad and be like hey dad I've been dating Curtis for six months he would just be so happy he'd be like what what Curtis is your boyfriend you guys gonna get married yeah he would just <laughs> not even have there would have been nothing it would have nothing that would have been better. Well, I liked your parents very much, and I I missed your sister. I only met her one time when she came to Kansas City. It was nice yeah. to hang out with her. Super proud of her and her house. I think that covers everything. Your dog's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, I was comfortable. I got it was, it was good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Thanks again, folks, for listening. We'll listen again on another episode of Zompocalypse. Bye. Goodbye. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey and Dustin Adair for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.